Welcome to the inaugural season of the Bruin Shaver Sports Podcast, where for 30 minutes once a week, we talk about all the things that make us love sports, the games, the rivalries, and of course, the personalities. We are stoked that you're listening. And now, here's Ben and Darren. Hey, everybody, and welcome back to a brand new episode of the Brew and Shaver Sports Podcast. Thank you for tuning in yet again while we navigate this desolate wilderness called the off season. (laughs) And yes, there are other sports going on. If you're a baseball fan, you're probably in heaven. You love this time of year. That's wonderful. If you're like Darren and you are just crazy in love with the usfl you are loving it right now nba is going on nhl playoffs have have started um but for those of us who just love college football this is really a tough time of year yeah it's that time of the year where uh your spring practices are over with your spring games have taken place and and really honestly unless you're just digging in and trying to find something to just read about with your whoever your favorite team or conference is you really honestly are, are seeing nothing but but headlines that you don't want to see because that's usually that's about all that gets attention <laughs> during this time of the year so it's it's a tough time all the way around if you're just a college football lover yeah here's looking at you Alabama that, that you know, getting Eli Ricks <laughs> Uh, was that a little jab there? <laughs> it, it may have been thinly veiled, but yeah, you might as well throw it out there and get it out there, right? We are less than a minute and a half into the show, and Darren's already poking the bear. <laughs> the big national championship bear. Well, you gotta go, if you're going to go, go big, right? I mean, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I don't know if I would have said national championship. You probably irritate some Georgia fans. Oh, no, that's true. <laughs> You're making all kinds of enemies already. Well, let's say, how about Georgia are the real national champions? How about that? Does that make it up a little bit? Is that... <laughs> yeah, we've already lost three sponsors, though. Um, so just... But we're glad you joined us. We, we do have some news to talk about and some sports. Uh, of course, it's all sports news that we're talking about. And um, some, some big news of the week, and Darren, you've been tracking some things. Uh, here in Louisiana, one of the, the biggest news items is one of the best players to ever don the purple and gold for the Fighting Tigers of LSU is coming home uh, to play for the New Orleans Saints. Yeah, that's a, that's a really big uh, deal here in Louisiana, you know, because he – uh, at the end of his college career had had some bumps, uh, but you know he transitioned to the pros and, and, and has had an incredible career. And I think even with the bumps that took place at the end of his, his college career, he is still maybe not on a Joe Burrow level, but he has still had that that favored son status. Everybody in Louisiana followed his career, wanted to see him do well, was was excited. You know, they were talking about the Kansas City Chiefs, which I don't know how many people in Louisiana talked about the Kansas City Chiefs before he got there. Uh, so, it's a, you know, there's some some great similarities between the two there. But I think for him to to come home uh, and, and be a part of the Saints, uh, and it looks like the deal is a, is a pretty reasonable deal. You know, they didn't have to – I think the, the final numbers are somewhere in the $30 million range with 16 to $18 million. Uh, guaranteed. Uh, so none of that is just these astronomical numbers comparative to to other contracts that we see. So it, it looks like, you know, he really uh, is coming home for the sake of coming home. Obviously, he's going to make good money. 
but it, it works out well for everybody. You know, the people in Louisiana that are Saints fans that are that are also LSU fans are extremely excited to get him home. And it's nothing but an upgrade for the Saints. When you look at their secondary, you know, they've got some some great guys back there. But when you get that kind of speed and, and a shutdown corner um, that, that can take control of a side of the field, there's nothing but positive that comes from that. Uh, so I, I, it's a big, big day with some big news here here in Louisiana for sure. He's coming home. He played uh, high school ball in New Orleans. Of course, uh, had a, a, ter- a terrific talent at LSU. And as you mentioned, Darren, I think because of how his career ended, we love redemption stories. And right. we, we saw a guy in Tyrant uh, Matthew who – it just, it was hard to watch. Um, yep. You know, he, he wound up getting booted out of LSU and, and you wonder what's going to happen to this kid. Now uh, the trajectory of his life was not pointing in a good positive direction, but it seems that he's gotten his life back on track over the years. And I think he was even nominated. Was it this year? Walter Payton man of the yes, year. Award I believe that's right. Um, so he's, he really seems to have righted the ship and, and who doesn't, love to see a story like this and and now he's coming home and it could be uh, this could be his last stop in his nfl career and, and you know I'm, I'm assuming that that's what both he and the saints are, are hoping that that is the case and, and you're right about the redemption story you know it's incredible to see a guy that ended up being dismissed from the school be the guy that's that that gets back on track uh that has the career he has and goes from not being able to finish his senior year because he's he's uh, removed from the school to the guy that comes back and speaks to the team, it, it, you know that's that's an awesome awesome story to watch. And now that kind of full circle part where he's here, you know, literally playing in his hometown to hopefully finish out his career. You really can't beat that. That's an incredible story. Looking forward to seeing how it ends. And and speaking of. Um famous careers here in Louisiana. Did you notice that Drew Brees was at the LSU baseball game this weekend and uh, pumping up the team before the game? I did see that. That was pretty cool. That was pretty cool. Uh, He's, he has definitely become a uh, native son of Louisiana. I mean, from, from the way he interacts with, with the school there in Baton Rouge with other schools in the state and, and does businesses all over the state. He has definitely become a native son. Yeah, uh, Drew Brees was in town and talking about Baton Rouge, and so was Garth Brooks. And at his concert Saturday night, did you see that they were they were measuring the size? Is it seismic waves? I don't I don't know what it is, but whatever they use to to monitor to detect earthquakes. And during the song calling Baton Rouge, it registered a small earthquake. Yeah, I saw where it was actually at the, kind of the exact moment they're thinking uh, it, to to be, try to be that perce- precise in it. It's at the exact moment where that kind of fiddle hits and kicks the song. The eruption is what registered on a seismograph. So that's to register as an earthquake. I, it, it, that's a pretty cool thing. That's and I think it's uh, I think I saw where it's only one of like three or four times that it's happened uh, there in the stadium that they've registered uh, on the seismographs. That's that's pretty cool. <laughs> yeah, the first time it's happened for a concert there. Right, uh, right. The other times have been games, which uh, it's anyway. We'll talk about that in the fall, but yep. uh, but it, it's just a neat Saturday night in Baton Rouge. But let's Very talk about so. some news coming out of the Big Twelve, Darren. Um, with the the split in divisions, what what's going on with that? 
Well, you know, the thing that's interesting about it is the fact that the, the NCAA has said for uh, uh, quite a while that the only way in order to have a championship game, you have to have two divisions and the, the top team in those two divisions uh, are the ones that play each other. And then that's who gives you the possibility of, of representation uh, or that's how you ca- kind of get your representation into the, the, the uh, national championship game or now the playoff picture. Uh, I believe it's the AAC that has had an exemption. Uh, and, and my understanding is based off of that exemption and, and the way it's worked out for the AAC, the NCAA has taken a step back and is looking at the possibility of removing that conference title game uh, uh, mandate where the only way you can, you can have that is to, uh, to have the two divisions because with the, the new players or with the new teams that were coming into the big 12, that was becoming a, a big conversation. You know, it's not going to be a round Robin. We're going to have to put people into divisions. How do we, and, and all of these things were taking place to me. I think the other interesting part of this is not necessarily about the big 12 as much as it is about the sec, you know, with Texas and Oklahoma uh, uh, coming in, there's been talk about, okay, so how's the sec going to divide that up? How do you, you know, do you create a West division that has Texas A&M, Texas, Oklahoma, you know, and LSU in it? You, you know, how, how do you how do you divide all those teams? And, and there's been conversation about having four pods and all of these different things instead of two divisions. I think it really kind of opens the door for that as well. So I think it's a really uh, I started to say interesting time, but I think honestly, it's kind of an obvious time for the NCAA to be having this conversation. The Big 12 are the ones that have really taken the biggest step to go. Oh, wait a minute. All conversations are paused uh, because they were the ones actively engaged in. How are we going to create these divisions? So. Those things are, are removed from the table right now. All conversations are on pause. But with all of the conference realignment, I, I think this has a – it really is interesting to me that the Big 12 is the biggest part of the conversation with this because I think this is a potential ruling, uh, a proposal that's now sitting on the table that has a very wide-reaching effect with all of the realignment that's taking in all of the conf- – that's taking place in all of the conferences. Uh, so – it's a really interesting time for the NCAA to throw this out on the table. And I think it's, I think it's going to have an effect. I think it ultimately end up passing that they won't uh, require divisions that your number one and your number two team just play each other. And that's how you get your, that's how you get your conference champion. I, I think that's what will end up happening. Uh, but the effects that'll have on all the conferences will be really interesting to watch and see what happens. A lot of moving parts, and we'll wait and see how they all shake shake out and see what happens. Yes. Uh, but some other news, uh, Mark Emmert, who is the departing president for the NCAA, I think he leaves uh, next year if I read that correctly. Uh, or, or when they find a replacement, whichever comes okay. first. Makes sense. So who are you hearing, Darren, as top candidates to, uh, to replace him? Well, I tell you, there have been a, you know, you can, all you have to do is Google and and you come up with, with 35 stories that have 35 different names. (laughs) You know, there is a list that is a mile long that is out there. You're giving away your research, you're giving away your research (laughs) secrets. 
what about well, your with, sources? Sources tell me. With with this one, there's ninety thousand sources. So I know. <laughs> uh, the interesting thing is when you look at the, the the names that really surface the most when you start reading all the different articles, it, you know they're, they're the obvious choices. You know, uh, com- commissioners of of leagues. Uh, even Sankey has been asked about it. You know, is this something? That you, do you think you'll be pursued? Do you think you'll be interested in uh, the the Big East uh, commissioner uh, has has been another name that that has come up. Uh, but I, I tell you, the, the interesting thing that has really gotten my attention is the amount of people that seem to be on the list that are completely and totally outside of sports. You know, uh, you when you hear uh, Dave Gabbitt, who is the uh, NCAA Senior Vice President of Basketball, okay, that's a name you kind of expect to hear. Val Ackerman, the Big East Commissioner, uh, like I said before, Greg Sankey's name being brought up. Uh, Linda Livingston, the Baylor President, okay, is still someone involved in, in collegiate athletics, even if it's on that, that presidential level as far as president of the university but two names that really jumped out at me uh were uh robert gates who is the former u.s secretary of defense and a former cia director uh, who has been a member of the ncaa board of governors in the past and former u.s secretary of state condoleezza rice Hmm. Those are two really interesting names. And I think it's also even with the, you know, the president of Baylor, the Big East commissioner, uh, even with those names, those are it's it's interesting to me how many females are a part of the conversation. Uh, Yeah, that's that's really uh, and, and the thing that's really like I said, when you look at it, this mixture of sports and then people that really come from, yes, they may have been involved in sports on a higher level, you know, part of the NCAA board or something like that. But it's really interesting how outside of sports, how many of those, I mean, names that you really honestly wouldn't think of are being considered. And I think that's, uh, I think that's a sign of the times in that people are willing to think outside of the box, maybe in a, in a way that they haven't been able or willing to in the past. But I also think it's a sign of the challenges that the NCAA faces with all of the things that even we've talked about here here in our conversations about NIL and transfer portals and, you know, coming up with some kind of way uh, to, to maintain some kind of level of, of, of equity between, you know, the big conferences and that group of five that's the next. Uh, those are some enormous challenges. And I don't. I think part of the reason you're seeing the names you're seeing is is that people are understanding you can't just go down the typical lines that you go down to 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 put somebody in a place that that's going to help lead through those challenges. I think you have to look outside of the box, and they are some some really interesting names. Some very impressive candidates. I yes. would pretty much bet the farm though that Greg Sankey. There's no reason for him to leave the SEC. He's he's probably got a better gig at the SEC than he does with, with whatever the NCAA is offering in terms of presidency. What you know, if you talk to people in the Big Twelve and the ACC, they might say that he's already the de facto leader of the NCAA as the SEC commissioner. But that's a different conversation. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. A completely dominant conference year after year, and yep. he's he's the head man. So why leave that? Yep. Now, we've got some more news to talk about, uh, some numbers, some really interesting numbers about the NFL draft. But before we get into that, let's, let's take a listen to This Week in Sports History. 
May 2nd, 1910. The Intercollegiate Athletic Association of the United States is renamed the National Collegiate Athletic Association, or the NCAA. The organization was originally formed in 1906 to draw up competition and eligibility rules for gridiron football and other intercollegiate sports. In 1921, the NCAA conducted its first national championship event, and in 1952 began regulating live televised coverage of college football. Oh, thank you. So we have some staggering numbers from the recent NFL draft, and to cut to the chase, the SEC has dominated once again, as they have, every year since 2005 uh, quite a stretch of domination this year i believe there are 65 players taken from the sec and the next closest conference was the big 10 with 48 yes a, a very interesting uh to see just how long the sec has been dominant in this to, to have 65 players total uh, that were were drafted and and truthfully even more than that that went as undrafted free agents. I mean the the stone the numbers really are uh, staggering. Uh, and, and Ben, you were you were pointing out when we were talking earlier uh, that there's been uh, some conversation about the interest in not only uh, how dominant the SEC has been, you know, with the Big Ten only having 48 and the ACC or Pac-12 having 25. But within that domination of those 65 of the SEC, how, how Georgia uh, has just is just clearly at the top with 15 players drafted. Uh, and that's uh, that that's a, a new record uh, and a record that breaking a record that has stood for, for quite a long time uh, that included one of LSU's draft classes. But to have 15 and in a conference that has had so many players be drafted to not only be that clear in a way, the top team, but to to do it on what is quite literally a record breaking uh uh, level is pretty incredible for Georgia to just be that dominant. I mean, no one is even close. I mean, LSU did get to 10 within the SEC, but when you look across all of these different teams, across all the different conferences, there aren't even other teams outside of Georgia and LSU that are in, in double digits. It's incredible how dominant Georgia and then second to that LSU were in this year's draft with the players that were drafted. Yeah, no question about it, and it raises it, it does raise some questions. Georgia with fifteen players, we expected that fourteen and yes. one national champions. Uh, Alabama with seven players, they were the third most in the SEC. Thirteen and two, they played in the national championship against Georgia, lost. We expected that, but the LSU ten players from a six and seven team. Now, now Feinbaum earlier tweeted what. What's going on here? How can you have that many players and you see the difference in the records? Georgia 14 and one, Alabama 13 and two, LSU six and seven. So, Darren, what gives? Well, and Ben, we talk about my research and the different things that, that, that I come up with. I, I'd love for you to share the stat that you uh, shared with me earlier when we were talking before we started recording about that 2019 LSU team. Uh, and I think that tells a lot of the story of, of just how many players LSU ended up having drafted this year. How many off of that 2019 team have now yeah, been drafted? It, it's, it's absolutely staggering. Uh, and, and it was a tweet that Shay Dixon um, tweeted today. 
19 out of 22 players who started that national championship game in 2019 where LSU won, defeated Clemson to win the national championship, 19 out of 22 starters have been taken in, in the NFL draft the past couple of years. Then you put in the kicker, Cade York, who was drafted this year, and that number goes to 20. So you're talking about 20 out of 22 starters. We've forgotten how great that 2019 team was. Yes, absolutely. And, and you know the fact that even in the draft, that team still continues to impress. And not only in the draft, when you look up those guys that have been drafted prior to this year that were part of that team, uh, and, and how their careers, what their careers have looked like in, in the pros. I mean, those guys, a lot of those guys are still, uh, ha- have went straight into great NFL careers. But I also think this this number of 10 with LSU tells the other story or the other side of, of Coach O uh, in, in the struggles he had within coaching. You know, even before he was a head coach, he was known as the guy that was a recruiter. He could recruit anyone to go anywhere to do anything you know the old what's the old saying could sell ketchup popsicles to a guy wearing white gloves or you know whatever mm-hmm. I, I mean he, he just he had that type of personality so he could recruit that was never in question even in the darkest of, of most difficult times there toward the end before he was terminated there was no question he could recruit the issue everywhere he has been a head coach is what do you do after you get them on campus? How are they developed? And, you know, that 2019 year, he had the right guys in the right place offensively and defensively from a coaching perspective that coached up the talent. You know, when, you, when you've got Joe Brady, Dave Aranda, and, and, and those guys are putting together the schemes, coached the schemes, putting the players in position, to be into those schemes, those guys were doing everything you want a coach to do with your team uh, and, and, and to do with those players to develop them. Then we saw the immediate fall off because now we're back to they can recruit, but do you have the guys in place that can coach up? And the answer was no. So I think seeing those 10 players, we saw guys – that had incredible talent that ended up on campus in Baton Rouge that didn't really develop the way you wanted them to, but you saw just enough flashes and you saw some incredible things happen. Even though schemes didn't necessarily work out the way you want to, individual efforts were incredible throughout the entire season and uh, that they were then uh, able to show off that talent from a, from an NFL scout perspective. And, and I think that's what you're seeing, uh, that the talent was there, even if it wasn't necessarily fit into the right scheme, the right schemes weren't necessarily in place and they weren't coached up as well as they should have been. The, the talent was still there and NFL scouts could see that. Yeah, I, I think that's a fair assessment. And, and it's a reminder of why LSU was able to lure a coach like Brian Kelly. Right, because the talent is insane at LSU. The kind mm-hmm. of players they can get on campus is just phenomenal, even even in bad years. And yep. so the athletes they get are right up there with Alabama and Georgia. And so the talent pool is so rich, and um, it's going to be. I, I know we're not talking about college football for next year yet, but it's going to be fascinating to see. Brian Kelly, who has a, a reputation for developing talent, 
Mm -hmm. to see what happens this year. And, and, you know, the other thing about getting talent into here, uh, you know, talking about Coach O being a recruiter and what Brian Kelly's been able to do, we've talked about this before, but I don't think it can be set enough. If you were to just cast a four-hour net from Baton Rouge in any direction and say, okay, this is home, we're going to protect this as home. And you, obviously you're getting over into Texas, you're getting you're up into, you know, North Louisiana, Southern Arkansas, you're getting over into Mississippi, a little bit into Alabama. If you think about the football that's played within that four-hour net, there's some incredible football played on Friday night. And, and just to convince guys to stay at home, you are getting incredible talent. Yeah, yeah, definitely. So what a, a, a run, what a legacy from that 2019 yep. team. Uh, looking over the, the draft numbers, we do need to give a shout out to um, a coach who's really done an outstanding job developing players, and that's Luke Fickle at Cincinnati. Nine players taken in the draft. What a tremendous job that Coach Fickle and his staff have done. You know, if you just do a comparison, which, you know, Coach Fickle will probably be the very first one to say, I I'm not worried about comparing myself to anybody else. But when you think about what he has done there, and this year in the draft, he had more players drafted than Penn State, Oklahoma, UCLA, USC, Alabama. That's incredible. I mean, you're talking about being able to say, yep, that dude's doing his job on a level that no one, no one saw that coming. You, you know, you, you, you give him credit for what he's doing. But that next step that that program has taken over the last couple of years Absolutely mind-blowing what he's been able to do there. Right. Uh, I was trying to look, Darren. Did every SEC team have someone taken in the draft? Uh, let's see. Uh, I believe um, – well, how about this? I think all the real SEC football programs had someone taken <laughs> in the draft. Is that, is that a fair assessment? <laughs> I was trying to avoid it. I thought maybe we'd get cut off or something. <laughs> yeah, I, I, don't, I don't mean to pick on Vanderbilt. So let's pick on somebody else. A team that is planning to join the SEC, Texas. Oh, goodness. Zero players goodness. taken. Yeah, and, and let me say this, <laughs> that I think both coaches, both Clark Lee and Steve Sarkeesian at Texas should be standing on the top of the mountain screaming, I told you the cover was bare. I told you the cover was bare. I told you the cover was bare. Because I think that's – you cannot argue the point that that's part of what – if you're Texas and you have the history that Texas has and then to have no one drafted, I, I, I think because he's so early – last year was his first year there, Correct. It was his inaugural season. So he's just going into his second season. I think he can talk about the cover being bare. I also think there's the possibility that it gives him a little bit of, of, of an extra conversation to have outside when he's recruiting of, hey, you can come here and play immediately. You know, that's that's been one of the ways that Vanderbilt specifically has been able to get some of the guys they've gotten in the past is that allure of playing time. You're not going to come, you know, be on the punt return team for a year or a red shirt. You're going to come get immediate playing time and develop your craft for the next, you know, three to four years. I think he very much has that pitch to make uh, with, with anyone he's recruiting to come to Texas because very obviously they're not, the, the, the talent's not there right now. Now, the other side of that is 
if this were to be for some reason a problem that persist, persisted over a couple of years, then you start having the conversation of you're recruiting your guys, but they're still not developing. Then it becomes a him issue. I think right now he can use it to it as his advantage, but if it persists where his numbers are either zero or extremely low, which is not acceptable at Texas when it comes to the guys going into the draft, I think it becomes a big issue for him. Yeah, yeah, definitely, definitely. And so now the player development begins in the NFL, but another year where the SEC is dominated and yes. every SEC coach is going to bring that up to every recruit. Uh, if you want to get to the next level, this is your best opportunity. Oh, absolutely. So speaking of football, let's let's go over to uh, not the NFL, but your new favorite league, Darren. I can't think of anybody. Um, you know, we had Rusty on during the NCAA tournament. We called him the Big East apologist. <laughs> you, and my friend, are the USFL apologist. They need to they need to put you on the payroll. Uh, I could not agree more. <laughs> I, I've not met anybody who's promoting this and as passionate and excited about it as you are. And so. Um, What's been going on in the USFL? Give us an update. Well, you know, one thing I will say real quick, you're talking about being passionate. We were talking about um, redemption stories, and, and that's part of the cool part of this. You've got guys that have not gotten a chance or have missed their chance, maybe made mistakes. It just didn't work out with an NFL team, whatever it is, uh, that, that are, they've got that shot now. They're being featured weekly on national television to show their talents. And, and I think some of the guys are really – uh, rising to the occasion. Uh, and, and we talked specifically this past week about the game between the Birmingham Stallions and the New Orleans Breakers. And that game lived up to the billing. The, the score, it was interesting that the over-under for the game was like 44 and a half, and they barely got to 35. The defenses, I honestly think, got a little tired of hearing about how great the offenses were and really stepped up. Uh, and both defenses played great. The Birmingham Stallions ended up winning the game 22 to 13. And, and they're the undefeated top of the league right now. And the cool thing for us here, for, again, from a local flair, is, is that Skip Holtz, who's the head coach and the offensive coordinator. Uh, and he is showing his ability to coach up players, his ability to scheme and coordinate a game. Uh, does transcend outside of the college game. Really interesting to watch because he has had – some magnificent play calls when you can just see how things work out. But the other thing that shows that how smart he is as a head coach is he was able to go and grab John Chavis as his D coordinator and pull him out of, he wasn't coaching anywhere. He, he was done. He had had his time at Tennessee at LSU at Texas A&M and, and he was at home uh, retired, not necessarily officially retired, but taking advantage of the money he'd had an opportunity to earn and, and Skip Holtz was able to pull him out and say, why don't you come do it? And, man, did the Stallions defense show that. That looked like a John Chavis defense. It was really a fun game to watch. And I will tell you this, it may have been another record that was set, the Michigan Panthers that are coached by Jeff Fisher. Uh, they actually got the ball in the opening kickoff and drove down and scored. That may be the first time that that's happened with the Jeff Fisher team. So uh, that that was an interesting thing to watch as well. Uh, but uh, in addition to their defense, their offense scoring uh, 24 points, Jeff Fisher's defense did pitch the first shutout of, of this season of the USFL in this iteration. Uh, the Pittsburgh Maulers, man, if you were trying to get somebody interested in watching the USFL – 
do not do not even let them know that that team exists man they are hard to watch their offense is bad their defense is bad they are hard to watch but uh and and so that's that's really kind of been the the fun thing to watch the kicking is improving there are now two kicks over 50 yards after over 50 yards that have been made for field goals and there was actually a punt that went 61 yards in the air this week so you can see the skills starting to improve I think there's going to be some fun offense this coming week. Uh, the uh, Saturday night game is between the Tampa Bay Bandits and the Birmingham Stallions. Uh, the Tampa Bay Bandits have been a good team. Uh, they're two and one, two and one. So it'll be interesting to watch and see if the Stallions can keep that undefeated streak going, which I honestly think they will. And then another good game will be the Breakers uh, versus the New Orleans Breakers versus the Houston Gamblers. And we haven't talked a whole lot about them. They're coached by Kevin Sumlin who is a great offensive mind, uh, and Larry Fedora is the head coach of the Breakers. I think it'll be two really good offensive minds kind of seeing what they can do uh, against each other. I, I think the Breakers most likely will win that, but I think the, the Gamblers are one of those teams that have a chance to score a bunch of points in a hurry if they kind of get on top of you. So those will be the two really fun games to check out this week. More football, good football, and Darren, uh, you you you. You can sell the USFL. So here's the easiest thing I can say about the USFL: it's football. Mm-hmm. It's like pizza. Even if it's bad, it's still good. Okay, <laughs> it's football. <laughs> and, and you know, maybe that would be a good topic for conversation. Let's talk about pizza. What's good? What's you know? Maybe we can talk about that one podcast. I, you know, I, we could we could fill some time with pizza conversation. I <laughs> yes, we could. We could. <laughs> Speaking of upcoming podcasts, we have an exciting one coming up that we are so looking forward to. And yes. we're going to have a, a David Neesmith, who is a retired college football referee, will be joining us on the podcast. Um, we, haven't, we haven't solidified the exact date yet, but it's going to be in the next week or two. And um, we've had a great time talking with David from time to time. He has so many incredible stories, but there may be questions <laughs> that you have. Um, what's it like being an NCAA uh, football referee? What, what, what are some of the, the more intriguing personalities uh, that he met? What are some of the, the, the stories? Uh, what, whatever it is that has piqued your interest, um, we want to be sure to ask David those questions when he's on the podcast. So, if you will email us your questions at brewandshavers at gmail.com, we will be sure to include your questions uh, in that upcoming uh, podcast. So uh, we're looking forward to having David on. It's going to be a great, great, uh, you do not want to miss it. I mean, tell your friends about it because there's nothing like a great storyteller. And David has some incredible stories that you're going to love to hear from him. And in his personality, he's passionate about football and he's passionate about being an official. And it really comes together when you, when you get him started talking it, you, this will be one that you definitely want to tell people about and, and you'll be glad you, you were a part of it and we we're able to ask questions and listen to it. So send us your questions, let us know so we can include those. So uh, Darren, it, is this a wrap or are we, is it, are we wrapping up this episode now? Is there anything else that we need to talk about? I, I think we've pretty much covered it all. All right. I, it well, is off season. It is. It is. 
Thank you for listening to uh, this week's episode of the Bruin Shaver Sportscast. Remember, whatever podcast platform you listen on, if you're able to rate podcasts, it helps us out tremendously. If you'll go in and give us a rating, five stars would be great. We would not argue with that at all. And uh, I don't know, we might share some pizza with you if you do that. That's right. Um, but, but that helps us out a lot. So if you're able to, please do that. Uh, remember the link to our blog and any other future, any other links we mention is in the show description each week. And so there's a lot of different ways to connect. Um, we're always welcome to emails or if you want to leave a comment on our Twitter, uh, please do so. We'd love to hear from you. Um, if you have show, show suggestions, be sure to send those to us as well. But we do appreciate you uh, coming along with us on this journey as we navigate the wilderness of the college football offseason. <laughs> well said. So new episodes drop every Tuesday at 6 a.m. Of course, you can listen at any time of your convenience on whatever platform you choose. And until next week, you take care. Have a great week. <laughs>